Well, today we were, as you will see in your bulletin, supposed to be uh, in the parable of the prodigal son, uh, in which case Paul was supposed to preach on the younger son, um, but due to unforeseen circumstances, we had to call an audible uh, yesterday morning. And so instead, we will be today in Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. And while this is not um, the parable of the prodigal son, what I think what we'll find from this passage is a very similar posture. We'll see a fair amount of parallels between the nature of a prodigal son returning to his father and the posture that this Canaanite woman will have before King Jesus. We're about to take up and read, but before we do, let us ask for the Holy Spirit's help in prayer. Oh Lord, we come to you now as your people, burdened by the world, starving for your word, weary and heavy laden. So, Lord, we pray now that you would feed your people, that you would give us your wonderful word, that our souls would be filled with the glorious good news of Christ our King who bids us come. And so, Lord, may we do so now. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to know your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear now the word of our Lord from Matthew chapter 15, starting with verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the districts of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have Mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. That is the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. May he add his blessing to the reading of it. So just a bit of context where we've come in Jesus' journey now as he's progressed through uh, the book of Matthew. Just prior, he's had uh, an interesting engagement with the Pharisees. And it's there that the Pharisees have begun you know, discussing with him uh, how they, that his 
disciples don't follow the traditions of the world around them. They don't, they don't keep these cleansing rituals and the like. And they look to him and say, in essence, you, do you not know that your, your disciples, they're, they're defiled. They don't, they don't wash themselves. They don't purify themselves as they should. But Jesus responds by explaining the reality that it's something far, far closer to the heart that actually defiles a person. And so in the narrative, as the story unfolds, in a shocking manner to demonstrate the reality that it's not these these outward things that we do to present ourselves before a holy God and say, Behold, O Lord, I am clean. You must accept me now. We turn to see a wretched, pagan, Canaanite woman throw herself before the feet of Jesus. And Jesus will look at her, who should be the least worthy person on the face of the planet, and says, great is your faith. And what I want us to see today as we really anticipate and and build up towards working through the parable of the prodigal son in the coming weeks is to see what is a prodigal posture. There's a prodigal posture that this woman has. And we see how this prodigal posture comes about. There's a, a variety of things that take place to bring about the situation. First and foremost, she's a Canaanite woman. She has no business around Jesus the Messiah, and yet she presents herself before him, begging him earnestly to heal her daughter who is oppressed by a demon. What has brought about this prodigal posture, this posture of desperate, pleading, begging before Jesus a need of his grace and his mercy? And we see actually in verse 22, there was a situation that brought this about. It was a tragedy that awoke in her a posture to come before the Lord and beg for his grace and his mercy. Her daughter was severely oppressed by a demon. And it's very, very interesting, the Lord in his providence, how he uses sometimes in his providential care in beautifully painful ways, often tragedy, to bring us right where we need to be. In the case of the prodigal son himself, He goes and he squanders all that he has. He finds himself filthy and broken and poor and in a pigsty. Tragic. And it's at that moment that he says, I must beg for my father to receive me back. The Lord has to do that in our lives often too, doesn't he? There's a wonderful beauty, though, that as the Lord's providence unfolds, how regularly difficult, difficult things he brings to bear in order to bring us directly to himself. There's a painful beauty to tragedy that for the prodigal, 
it always ends up pointing us back home. We always find ourselves getting to the end of our rope. And it's there that we say, I need my father. and I need nothing else. But we see something else. Not only uh, is there a tragedy that brings this about, but there's also a deep unworthiness that she recognizes. First and foremost, she's a Canaanite woman. Think, book of Joshua. The Canaanites were the worst of the worst. Joshua's supposed to lead them into the promised land and expel all the Canaanites. These two things don't go together. And here she is, this woman from a region of Tyre and Sidon, a Canaanite woman, which interestingly enough, Matthew will preserve. Uh, other trans, uh, in the, a parallel account, she's called the Syrophoenician woman. Matthew drives it home by calling her a Canaanite to hearken back all the Old Testament pictures that go with it. What he's doing, though, is painting for us a picture. He's giving us the encyclopedia and opening it to the section that says pagan. Here is what wretched pagan looks like. Behold, Canaanite woman. And he's put that before our eyes, and it's intended to shock us. That here is this defiled pagan woman who recognizes the reality that she is completely unworthy to be before King Jesus. He should, as the son of David, expel her right there. Be gone with you. And he continues to walk. We'll get to that in a minute. But notice what else she does. Not only does she come to Jesus, the son of David, verse 23, she comes before him and she is begging the Lord to the point that even the disciples are begging Jesus, send her away. Do anything. Just give her what she wants so she'll go away. She's constantly crying out. Send her off. But then verse 25, she continues on. She came and she knelt before him. It might be more dramatic than that, the Greek could be rendered, that she threw herself at his feet. There's a, a prostration before Jesus and it almost paints the picture of her being at his very ankles, begging him, Lord, help me. That's her only plea. She doesn't have any sort of grounding. Jesus, help me because I'm worthy. She's not like the Pharisees before who were talking about being defiled, who, who say, you're able to come before the the heavenly throne room itself before the thrice holy God. Why? Because you kept the cleansing rituals. Lord, accept me now. Look at how clean I am. Look at how I've washed myself. Look at how I've made myself pure. She's not like the older brother in the prodigal of the parable of the son. She's not like the older brother who stands before the father and says, Lord, I never left you. I was always faithful to you, Dad. Like, when, when everybody turned their back on you, I was there. I deserve this place. I, I deserve this in here. No. A prodigal 
posture is one that throws itself upon the mercy of Christ. That's its plea. Jesus, you must help me. And it's right there. It's right there that in tragedy and unworthiness, it quickly drives us to a prodigal posture, which is a posture on our knees before the Lord. And it's there that we see the beauty of prodigal prayer, which is what we turn to next. So not only does she come before Jesus, she has chased him down, she has begged him, but now she prays this incredible prayer. Verse 22. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. That's an incredible prayer. In fact, it's very interesting and shocking that especially what we've seen before with the Pharisees themselves, that it takes a desperate Canaanite woman to recognize who Jesus is. He's not just a wandering prophet in the wilderness. He's not just somebody who has some good sayings. Who is he? He is the Lord, the son of David. It takes a Canaanite woman a pagan, to see that Jesus is the Messiah. And her request is deeply warranted, recognizing the reality of who he is. She has one plea, have mercy on me. I need your mercy O son of David, you are the only one who can possibly fix this brokenness. You're the only one who possibly can restore my daughter. It's you, and if you don't do it, nothing will happen. You must do this, O Lord. But notice there's a second feature to her prayer in particular. It's perpetual and it's utterly desperate. Verse 25. After going about and constantly, repetitively making this prayer known, she throws herself before Jesus and says simply, Lord, help me. Real prayer starts when we get to the end of our rope, doesn't it? It's at this place and at this time where we have absolutely nothing else our options are all used up our idols are all gone they have forsaken us and it's here at the very bottom that suddenly real prayer happens lord help me but there's a third aspect to her prayer as well there's no presumption whatsoever. She'll come before him. She throws herself before the mercy of King Jesus. She says, Lord, help me. And Jesus tells her the truth. Verse 26, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Jesus simply tells her, 
you're not a part of the covenant community. I came primarily for the lost sheep of Israel, he has said before in verse 24. You have no claim. You have no stake. You have no reason to appeal to me. There is no grounding for me to do anything here. And her response, verse 27, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She is desperate for anything. But really, what's, what's the grounding? What's the root of her plea? She knows that she's unworthy. She knows that she has no right to claim any sort of working from the Lord. She knows that she does not deserve the mercy of Christ. And yet her plea is, I know. But I'll take anything. I'll take anything you have. Please have mercy on me. Looking at baptism today and seeing that it's it's really interesting as I've I've gotten to spend time with with students and observe them and learn from them. I've learned so much about myself. And it's it's incredible as to how we're such natural born Pharisees, aren't we? We are, are children. If you've had children, been a child, or been around children, you've heard this before. Dad, you should get me some ice cream today. Why should I get you some ice cream today? Well, I've been very good, as a matter of fact. I have I cleaned my room, and I didn't put everything in my closet. I actually put it where it belongs, in my drawers and, and in the toy chest. I did all the things right. And, and I used my manners to, I said, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, twice. I've been very good. Okay, I guess you deserve it. And we do the same thing, don't we? Right? Um, Friday night, I want an extra large pizza, meat lovers, just to myself. And I feel like I'm worthy of it because I went for a run earlier today. So I, my body needs to be replenished with lots of carbs and things that I don't really need, but I've been good. We're natural-born Pharisees. But wouldn't it shock us if a child looked to their father and said, Dad, can I have some ice cream today? The father replied, Why do you deserve ice cream today? And they said, I don't, but you're good. That's the plea right here. Woman, why do you deserve the mercy of the Lord? I don't. But you're good. And you're gracious. And you're merciful. The woman says, I am dirty, unworthy, defiled, immoral, but you are good. What is the grounds for her plea? The grounds for her plea is the goodness of Christ. And that's it. As the hymn writer will say, this is the prayer of a prodigal. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. 
bow I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. That is the prayer of a prodigal. But Jesus will not leave us there. As he hears this plea, as he sees her prayer, he says a very rare thing to her. O woman, great is your faith. The most unworthy of people, great is her faith. Why? Because she did the right things? No. Because she went through the cleansing rituals and she presented herself before Jesus as as being full and pure and clean? No. She comes before Jesus, messy, full of tragedy, and desperate for faith, and that is great faith. The Lord says, that is beautiful. That's where I want you. That's a people I can can do something with. That's a great faith. A faith that comes before the Lord desperate. And on your knees, begging for Christ's mercy. So beloved, have you come today desperate, unworthy, begging and in need to be restored to your Father. Are you here today with a prodigal posture, destitute and at the end of your rope? Then rejoice. Christ is the God who says and calls not my people, my people. He's the good shepherd who leaves the 99 to come and get the one. He is the God who puts out his arms to the prodigal and says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. So let us go to the Lord in prayer and rest in his grace and mercy. O Lord, all we like sheep have gone astray, each to our own way. And Lord, how unworthy are we. Lord, we have no warrant, we have no plea, except that you died, and you died for me. So Lord, now as we come to this table, may we come with all of our brokenness, with all of our tragedy, and all of our desperate nature, and look to you alone for grace. Restore us, O God. Strengthen us and confirm us. Remind us, O Lord, that the shepherd lays down his life for his sheep and has once and for all accomplished his purpose and cried out on our behalf, it is finished. But also conquering the grave and rising in newness of life, joining himself to us as our substitute. May we rejoice, O Lord. May we be filled up with the joy of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.